Today on the Topping Show, Bud Light stock is now down 19.75% in the past six months. Vivek goes viral after the RNC shuts down its upcoming debate with Chris Christie. GM increases their layoffs due to the UAW strike. Ford gives the seventh author to the UAW, but we know they probably won't take the deal. Disney is roasted for proposing a live-action adaptation of Bambi. Black Rifle Coffee is now half-awful for their stock price, at least. Birkenstock is seeking $9.2 billion valuation. Krispy Kreme puts their Insomnia cookie brand up for sale. And GM's autonomous vehicle accidentally crushes a woman in San Francisco. All that and much more on The Topping Show. Thank you everyone for taking the time to tune in today. Today's episode of Topping Show is sponsored by Topping Technologies. Topping Technologies is an IT value-added reseller and services company with a special proficiency in IT security. Heck, I see their founder released twice today. Gotta say he's quite handsome and brilliant. He's me, see, that's the joke. If you're an IT leader or a business owner, you can reach the team at sales at toppingtechnologies.com. Also, for the entire month of October, we're giving away a free 37mm flare launcher. Yes, you can mount it to an AR-15 like all awesome accessories can be. Go to toppingtechnologies.com to learn a little bit about the details. Lastly, trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of October. So if you click that button, I'd greatly appreciate it. Now, going over to the business part of the podcast, you have a Black Rifle Coffee stock now nearly 50% off as their stock continues to precipitously drop. And so bad, it's even gotten a decreased rating by the analyst. Now, it looks like specifically their year-to-date stock is down 49.53% which is, that's a pretty deep discount. Now, specifically in the past six months, their stock is down 38.85%. In the past month alone, it's down 31.89%. And then in, earlier this week, in the past five days per October 3rd, they're down 11.3%. It's so bad that it's actually gotten a bear stock rating. Now, I don't think we actually talked about the definitions of the stocks before when it comes to those. So rudimentally speaking, a bear stock rating refers to when an investor believes that the particular security or the broader market is headed downward and may attempt from a profit from decline. So everything's going downward. They're thinking maybe, maybe it's a good time to buy, maybe. And then bull rating, pretty much the same thing, just inverse. So back in the day when teachers actually taught in public schools, I know it's a rare, it's an audacious thing to propose these days. That's certainly not what they do anymore. But back in the day, they apparently did teach a little bit. And that's how I was kind of told about the situation in regards to stock ratings, the market. Just remember a bull, kind of like the horn is up, so they think the stock's going up. Then bear the claw, it's going down, simply put. And it'll be interesting to see. We have Black Rifle Coffee stores physically, in addition to having their product at damn near every retailer and sponsoring darn near every podcast that I've seen lately. I don't know if that's, some people think this might be oversaturating the market. I know brick and mortar is infinitely more expensive the traditional e-commerce route and i've been seeing them more and more push the actual physical store idea now there's obviously a lot of benefits to that you get someone in the store they'll spend more money they'll actually spend time there more often than not the longer you stay the more you spend it's a very proven business model i mean everyone on the planet knows starbucks but at the same time starbucks already exists and you're not going to beat starbucks by the number of locations unless you you would pretty much need trillions of, eh, for a couple trillion dollars you could, but I don't think anyone's going to put that much money or inject that much of an investment into Black Rifle Coffee. So let me know in the comments, do you think it's now a good time to buy their stock? I mean, it's dropped so much, it's under $4 per share. 
do you think it's going to keep dropping? And then in terms of strategy, do you think it's wise for them to keep opening up brick and mortar stores? Or should they just continue their successful e-commerce strategy as well as putting it inside of other people's stores? So if you go to like a Walmart, they're in there. And I assume Target, as some people, yeah, some people might still shop there conceivably. So let me know in the comments. Do you think their stock will go down more? Will it go up? And then what are your thoughts on their strategy? Do you think they should open up more physical stores or keep sponsoring podcasts, TV shows, sporting events, as well as going to other people's stores? Let me know in the comments. It'd be fascinating to see and hear what you have to say. Other interesting business news, you have Birkenstock seeking evaluation up to $9.2 billion, which is quite a pretty penny for those little shoes over there. So it looks like they're planning on raising the valuation IPO prices from $44 up to $49 per share. Now it looks like Birkenstock will raise up to $1.58 billion of valuation up to $9.2 billion at the target share price, making it among the five largest IPOs in the past two years. Now, according to the filings that they put on Monday with the Security Exchange Commission, they revealed that the nomination of Alexandra Arnault, who is the 31-year-old son of billionaire LVMH Chairman Bernard Arnault, to Birkenstock's Board of Directors. And LVMH, they're the parent company behind pretty much every luxury brand you conceivably can think of these days. It was a brilliant business move where this gentleman went around and basically bought out all the most luxurious brands out there so he can help consolidate costs and build an empire in and of itself. Now, it looks like Birkenstock disclosed earlier this week that their financier, Agache, the Arnott family office, which already bought up a controlling stake in the shoemaker in 2021, expressed interest in buying up to $325 million worth of Birkenstock shares when it goes public. So it'll be interesting to see how many people believe in those shoes and will it be a successful IPO? It's one of those brands where pretty much everyone already knows about them. I don't know how much there is in terms of market saturation. Earlier they noted that they were worried about copycats, copycats rather. so they're not even on Amazon, which is the bar none most popular e-commerce platform on the planet. So it'll be interesting to see how they continue to shape things up in terms of their strategies and what their IPO will actually kick off at and then what will be the stabilized price once people can actually buy and trade it publicly. It'll be interesting to see. Time shall tell. Other interesting business news. You have Krispy Kreme saying their Insomnia cookie brand is up for sale. Now, it looks like Krispy Kreme is considering a all-cash sale as, among, as well as other alternatives for getting rid of the Insomnia cookies. Now, Insomnia cookies, they were known for serving cookies well into the early morning hours. They actually tripled the revenue since 2017. And this is according to Krispy Kreme when they said earlier this week. That they, and they also helped expand the chain for, to more than 135 locations back in 2018 to 250 locations today. And they purchased a majority share in the company back in 2018, valuation at half a billion dollars. Now, it's not too surprising that they're spinning off the company. Granted, in terms of getting a better deal on copious amounts of sugar, might be there's a lot of benefits to having multiple sugar companies. Where, of course, like many things in life, the more you buy in terms of the price per unit, traditionally the more you buy, the less price per unit. So that's why you see a lot of, there's a lot of food companies that have gathered together, especially with all the ingredients. Many of them are similar. And in this case, they bought all these companies up and now they want to diversify it. But now it appears the pendulum is swinging back and they want to go back into the traditional core competency. So they're going to be focusing more on their donuts. So they specifically noted they want to spin off or sell this part of the company, this brand, 
because it'll give more time to focus on making their core products that they're known for, which is the iconic Krispy Kreme donut. And it's not all too surprising to hear about some more changes from the company. One of their tenured CEOs announced that he'll be stepping down, I believe, January in 2024. So they're already teeing up the new CEO. So, of course, from this new leadership, new strategies, new changes, it'll be interesting to see if this is the wise business decision when right now it is a profitable part of the company. The real question is, is their efforts best put into reinforcing what they do best? Or are they making a big mistake by giving up something that is a profitable part of the business? And again, they're starting to build up that brand recognition. A lot of people like the Insomnia cookie. Although, in full transparency, I've never tried the bloody thing, but I assume it does not cause insomnia. That would be a terrible side effect in, you know, in addition to the usual diabetes that usually follows copious amounts of influx sugar into your diet. But nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see where Krispy Kreme goes from here. Now, going on to the culture part of the podcast, you have Disney roasted for proposing a Bambi remake, which again is one of those fascinating things where Disney has become kind of like a bastardized copy machine where everything they seemingly make is a copy of copy of copy of copy. And fun little fact, if you do that on a copy machine, every time you make a copy of copy of copy of copy, it actually degrades the image and it gets what looks worse and worse over time. Very similar to Disney films and intellectual property. And when it comes to this specific case, it looks like it was actually the fourth, no, Disney's fifth feature length animation all the way back in 1952 is when they originally released it. And they decided, you know what? It, it needs it needs a update or refresh when I think we just know maybe it's probably because the company is talentless. So they want to remake it, turn it into a live action film, as well as remove all the good parts. In true Disney fashion, get rid of the morals and values and the good parts of the film and the extra intellectual property, and then just push out this crap. So it looks like they're going to do a few things specifically. And this is according to an article on Newsweek. Let's see here. They claim they want to also specifically modernize the cartoon. But, again, if you remember the film, there's not really anything in the film that would date it. It's not like they're walking around with telephones or cars or any type of technology that would be a clear flag of, oh yeah, there's a car from the 1950s. Obviously, that's, you know, over half a century ago. There's certain things when you watch a film, there are certain signals that you just know, whether it's the fashion of the clothing, the cars, the drinks, the food, the logos of companies in the background. There's a lot of things that make some films look pretty dated, but with Bambi, they're in the middle of a forest. So when they say they want to modernize it, they just want to inject crap into it. So it looks like one of the specific things they're going to do is they're actually going to basically, again, in true Disney fashion, rewrite the whole thing, just keep the original name. So apparently there'll be no death in the beginning of the film because they're worried about traumatizing kids, which is hilariously ironic when you see most of the things Disney makes these days. And this is the thing they think, oh, that, that, that might have a negative effect on children. We, we should get rid of that. Ridiculous. And it'll be fascinating to see, again, Disney's lost right under, right under $2 billion on films. It's like the past, I believe, 11 of 12 films lost money. And again, Disney used to print money for a living. 
And this is another great example of try and produce something that no one is asking for. It's not an original idea, obviously. And I can't conceivably see how this will actually make them a profit. Because again, they're just removing pretty much all the things that made it original. All the... Let me know in the comments. Do you think this will actually turn a profit for Disney? Or do you think this will just give you yet another reason to purchase vintage media that's not connected to the internet so you can actually save the original intellectual property and enjoy the film as originally intended without them starting to censor, censor it and bastardize everything about it? I can't help but think when it comes to this film's outlook, I would say the outlook is, yeah, not so good. Other interesting cultural news, you have Bud Light stock now down right about 20% in the past six months. It even dropped this week 3.4% in a single day. Now this comes after the brilliant Alyssa Heiderschild, the first woman v uh, VP of marketing at Anheuser-Busch. She was so proud of that fact, she put that in her LinkedIn profile. First woman. Oh yeah. She, of course, was the brainchild who said, we make alcohol. We think it's too fratty, even though she herself was a, I guess, a frat girl in college, drinking copious amounts of alcohol from prophylactic devices. And she said, oh, it's too fratty. We're going to hire someone who, this person, Dil Mulvaney, this person's average audience member is about 15 years old. That would be a perfect brand ambassador for Bud Light. And this happened April 1st, ironically, though it was not a joke. And they proceeded to lose $400 million in sales Q2 compared to the same fiscal Q2 last year, as there was a huge cultural backlash. And as company acquiesced from any semblance of responsibility or accountability, they also did not, quote unquote, stick with Dylan or defend Dylan, who is also known as a trans activist. Although Dylan never got the surgery or the drugs, so there's a lot of controversy that in that in and of itself. So there's a lot of conservatives, people who started to book out the brand. Then you had a lot of people in the middle boycott the brand. Then you had people on the left start to boycott the brand specifically because the company didn't stick with Dylan. Specifically, there's a famous gay bar holding company in Chicago, of which there are many, where they said because the company did not stick with Dylan, they were going to ban all Anheuser-Busch InBev products from their bars. So it was a perfect storm of quite literally alienating a majority of their audience and people just stopped buying the product week over week. The sales are down about 26, 27% by volume and about 30% by sales. So it's not too surprising that their stock would drop precipitously low. So specifically it dropped 19.75% in the past six months, which again, they just erased a lot of their gains. And I kept, I'm actually surprised there's not cons more conspiracy theories about the CEO short shorting the company, a phenomenon in which you actually bet for the company to go, their stock to go down. Because if there's anyone shorting this company, they made off like bandits. Now, it looks like earlier this week, InBev actually opened at $54.50 per share and then closed down at $53.42 per share. And year to date, they're down 10.37%. Now, however, if you look at the greater, larger picture overall, because again, they had extra traditionally they had strong fiscal quarters. Q1, they did quite well. Now, in the past year, they're actually up. 16.51% when it comes to their stock valuation from $45.85 to $53.42 per share. So it'll be interesting to see, again, for the year they're doing good, but week over week over week, their stock's going down lower and lower and lower. And I mean, culturally speaking, their attempted comeback is 
Perhaps a great metaphor for the Chicago Bears. I'm sure they're trying, I just would never know because they never make the headlines or the, really do anything. But I'm sure they'll be good next year. Perhaps that will be the new metaphor. Bud Light is the Chicago Bears of beer. Hilariously enough, Bud Light is the official sponsor or ambassador, whatever you want to call it, for the NFL. But I'm sure they'll be good next year. So they're trying to do social media pushes on Twitter, on YouTube, and all these types of platforms. And they're even giving away free copious amounts of Bud Light in an attempt, I think, to maybe quash some of the negativity on Twitter so that a majority of your responses are all people just wanting free Bud Light, which I'd love to interview those folks. I don't know who the hell they are. Some of them are actually real. They're real people. I didn't believe it when I first saw the phenomenon, but I looked at their profiles. Most of them, they just repost for free anything. But I can't conceivably think of what you would do if you won a case of Bud Light. If you Conceivably. If you entered this sweepstakes that they always do, I mean, what would you do if you won a case of Bud Light beer? The, the number of things you could do simply perplexes mind in terms of, I think I've come up with six by now, with my idea earlier this week being you could use it for ballast if you were a hot air balloon operator. And instead of using sandbags, you just use cases of Bud Light. Although, once if you have to cut it and it falls down, it could hit someone on the head, which may be preferable to your health as opposed to drinking the product. So there's a little bit of upside or a silver lining there. But I mean, in terms of other use cases of you winning a Bud Light, what you would do with it, I know you could, aluminum is very recyclable. You could, of course, recycle and melt down the aluminum to make an, a better product. But what would you do if you won a case of Bud Light as they continue to have these sweepstakes to try to win back customers and market share? And it, of course, is not working, evidenced by their sales and their stocks just continuing to plummet. But, and I'm just spitballing here, if I won a case of Bud Light, I know Kid Rock infamously shot them up, so they make good, we know they make good target practice. Perhaps it's so, perhaps the substance is so toxic you could use it for a cleaning product, similar to Listerine back in the day, which was invented, actually ironically enough, to clean the floors of bathrooms. Then they decided, oh yeah, let's have people put this in their mouths. And as crazy as that sounds, Listerine is now predominantly used to be put into people's mouths to cure a disease they made up called halitosis. Good marketing. So I suppose Bud Light could be used to clean the floor. Maybe. It could be used for fishing. Now, I don't recommend this because the fish would get in their mouth. But if you took a Bud Light and you pour it into a lake, it would be so viscerally disgusting and unpalatable, the fish would either die, or the fish, in their fear of having to ingest more Bud Light, they might jump out of the lake into your boat. So we may have just found the seventh use case for Bud Light. It might be a very effective methodology for fishing. That's not a terrible idea. So I take it back. There are many uses for Bud Light. We are now coming up with use case number seven. And then perhaps I'll actually note that down right here. Seven use cases. Fishing implementation device. Fish come to you to avoid Bud Light. Will we be, will we possibly be able to come up with eight? That's the real question. And it's one of those things, I don't know if clicking the comment button or even the subscribe button can fear, maybe can cure stuttering. There's no Mayo Clinic trials on this. I was just something I kind of just thought of on the show. As I try to work my stuttering, maybe perhaps that is the cure. It in and of itself lies within your power to fix. It's never been done. Perhaps we can try that today. If you click that button, perhaps
perhaps that will help with the show tomorrow. Now going on to the political part of the podcast, you have General Motors to lay off an additional 164 employees due to the UAW strike. Now we'll review the total layoff and the strike numbers as this is one of the biggest political issues because the UAW contributes a very large amount of money to political campaigns. Hilariously and ironically enough, they gave to campaign politicians who want to ban ICE engines and push EV vehicles through their mandates, which hilariously and ironically enough will mean less profit for the UAW and less jobs for the UAW. Also, those politicians help contribute to inflation. So, I know many people say it's not prudent to victim blame, but in this case, they are a contributing factor and a pretty good example or use case of you get what you vote for. But nevertheless, now we have this issue where the UAW wanted 80 to $100 billion for their next contract, which would have bankrupted the big three. The big three being General Motors, Ford, and Chrysler. Though Chrysler went bankrupt so bad in 2009, they were bought up by a European company. They're now called Stellantis, or Stellantis, if you're more Italian inclined, perhaps. So they wanted 80 to $100 billion, literally more profit than the companies generate for the most part. I believe GM did surpass that amount a little bit recently. But nevertheless, they wanted to bankrupt the companies through a myriad of initiatives from getting paid 40 hours a week, but only working 32. They also want to have a 40% increase of their wages. They want their pensions back. They want retiree, medical, a bunch of things that helped contribute to the bankruptcies in 2009, specifically of General Motors as well as Chrysler. Ford barely squeaked by. They were very conveniently, they took out a loan right before the economy went to hell in 2008. And they scraped out by the skin of their teeth, they did not go bankrupt. So we have this strike going on where the UAW has been very strategic Instead of paying everyone $500 a week not to work, which is the current stipend or the current amount that they pay each strikee, they have a huge fund. It's estimated to be about $825 million. So this is not going to end anytime soon. But if you're on strike and you're holding a sign, you get paid $500 per week, which is an unconceivable large amount of money considering the effort you put in. Good for them. But because they're very strategic, instead of paying everyone in the AW to go on strike, which would cost them more money because again, it's $500 per member. Well, they just have to remove a couple from a factory and the whole factory can't operate because apparently the big three are, they don't have the prudent business decision to cross train employees. As simple as that sound, like that seems to be with all the data we have now, the issue is that when they remove these employees from the factories, well, I remember for the Ford Blanco plant when that strike started a couple weeks ago, they believe that specifically the departments in the factory that they took employees out for the UW strike were finishing final assembly and I believe paint. And without those, for now until we have the robots, it won't function. Now, that being said, Tesla is actually creating a humanoid robot. Perhaps writing is on the wall more than we know. But nevertheless, that means that the factories are basically not doing anything. So, the big three wanted to cut their costs and mitigate some of that. They actually have to lay off some of the folks. So, it looks like these 164 employees at General Motors is laying off are going to come from two of GM's metal centers. And it looks like since the UAW has gone on strike, about 3,000 employees have been laid off by the big three. And in terms of the percentage of breakdown the UAW is currently on strike, you have a 17% breakdown that correlates to about 25,000 workers who have been on strike at 43 facilities in 21 states. And it looks like if you want to break that down to how much this costs in the union per week, you got $25,000 or 25,000 workers. Remember, it's $500 per week. 
So that means the union is paying them about $12.5 million to stand there with a sign. Well, perhaps the upside is that those members are finally getting something for their dues that they are, for, are paid or coerced to pay all the time to the AW. Granted, they'll never get the money back that they give all the politicians that created these problems to begin with, but nevertheless, they're getting some of that money back. So, I don't know, if I was a union member, I don't know what they get paid per week before the strike, but given the effort input for this, not a bad deal for the current situation. Now, again, the strike started earlier in September, specifically on September 15th, and again, it's only cost them $12.5 million per week. They have $820, $830 million in their bank. So this strike could last quite a while. And in terms of the big three, why they might not acquiesce to wanting to bankrupt themselves with a new contract with the AW, well, there's a lot of people saying, oh yeah, what about supply chain? People need new cars. Do they? Like right now, do you need to go buy a new car? The folks that I know, again, anecdotal experience from my friends, my family, myself, but we're all trying to make our dollars stretch further. Because again, we have very high economic uncertainty. I partially blame this for pol politics because it's grown so much that politics affects every business, even small mom and pop shops, where a lot of those business owners, those businesses, they're all concerned, depending on who gets elected, they might get, they very well, well may be regulated out of existence. Because remember, every time there's new regulation, it's gonna hurt a small business. Either they have to take on that burden themselves they need to hire an extra consultant to figure that crap out. It's never good, is what I'm trying to say. So with all that uncertainty, a lot of things that businesses would normally do, like reinvest in hiring new employees, or new material, new machinery, new software, a lot of that is just kind of on hold because of the uncertainty. So it's pretty strategic. You really don't need to buy a car right now, in my opinion, unless I'm having forbid to get in an accident. And even then, you could buy something that would last you a quarter of a century, such as a Toyota or a Honda or a Tesla, which are all not currently kneecapped by the UAW. And the UAW cost is so, so high. Even before the strike, they're paid the most in the industry. This isn't gonna help the big three adapt to the EV culture, the EV phenomenon that the government is partially forcing upon them. So it'll be interesting to see, but with all the data we have right now, there's not really much of an incentive for either side to really concede a lot. Because again, depending on how much the big three give the UAW, they'll be bankrupt. They won't have the resources to actually compete with Tesla. I don't think that's a prudent business decision. That's what GM wants. Specifically, you talk to Mary Barr, the CEO, she's very adamant, directly calling out Tesla for the reasons they made cuts, they laid off, they actually bought out thousands of corporate employees from their salary and their contracts so that they could eliminate the positions altogether to try to be more competitive price-wise. So it'll be interesting to see, let me know in the comments, do you think this strike will end anytime soon? I can't but think, no, I, I would say probably not. Other interesting political news, you have Ford's seventh offer to the UAW, but they probably, of course, will not take it because they want the moon. Again, their, their original ask from the UAW was 80 to $100 billion over the course of the four and a half year contract. So 80 to $100 billion, the companies are making in profit between 12 and 25, and I think GM actually hit $27 billion in profit. So they would, make, they would make no profit or negative profit, which maybe it's like Trump's are the deal. You ask for the world, but then you, you, you can see it. But for weeks, they really haven't given up much. So, and again, this is a very fluid negotiation situation. Every hour, sides are giving things up. I mean, again, this is their seventh offer to the AW. But the AW wants a lot of things that earlier had caused GM and Chrysler specifically to go bankrupt in 2009. Those are 
contributing factors to the bankruptcy, really huge absorbent costs that are not competitive in the US or anywhere in the globe, to be quite frank. That's why companies like Honda, Toyota, are they're cheaper for the cost of labor and the products, again, those products will last a quarter of a century or a million miles. Uh, that's one of those things. Where would you put your money if you're an investor? Again, I'm not giving financial advice. I'm just simply pointing out the fact that the company with a lower cost of goods has a vehicle that's more reliable on average. Look at pretty much any consumer report or any long-term report. And I don't know how much the UAW could really push before they put themselves out of existence. Now, it looks like this, again, the seventh offer from Ford. And historically speaking, Ford just has the best relations with the UAW. They have the greatest number of workers that are part of the UAW. They also, on average, pay a little bit more than uh, Stellantis in particular. And there, this offer right now is a 20% pay raise, which again, when's the last time you got a 5% or 10% pay raise? Most people I know these days are, most companies are laying people off right now because of the economic uncertainty and the inflation that was caused by the government, ironically, by people that the UAW endorsed and helped fund to get elected. Now, Ford, again, they're offering a 20% increase, which, again, over a four-year contract, I, I don't know anyone who's gotten that great of a deal in life. And again, the cost in aggregate, even just that, is going to be, it's going to be a staggering cost. Now, not only do they offering that, they're also increased their 401k, as well as a five-week vacation, which is insanely good. Now, it looks like in terms of some of the contract negotiations, some of the communications, you also had CEO Jim Farley critiquing the UAW for wanting to dictate how they make business decisions around the battery plants. Because, of course, the UAW, the... I mean, some people compare them to the Chicago mob. I would never be... Oh, of course you could never do that, even if they use uh, very similar methodologies and cultures. But nevertheless, I would say it's very interesting the UAW wants to dictate that. Well, partially because those plants are not unionized, so they're going to be more efficient. Which, again, is what Ford needs. If Ford really wants to compete with Tesla, they're going to have to do some very innovative things, very costly things, they're gonna need a lot more computer science engineering degrees and less people making 65, $75 an hour to put a tire in a car, which I'm not joking. That literally was a use case for a GM employee well, a couple years back. And yes, I understand in the comments that does include their healthcare, their dental, their banana falcon healthcare, whatever they wanna call it. But when it comes to the price of how much it costs the company to put it into the vehicle, that's what's affecting you when you go out to purchase something made by the UAW. If you're purchasing something that's made by Big Three, a last cost analysis estimates you're spending about, I believe, two to three grand more than competition just because it's made by a union member. Keep in mind, companies like Honda and Toyota have American workers making exceptionally reliable vehicles, and that costs a fraction for the labor. So it'll be interesting to see, in terms of giving them a 20% pay raise, it's not enough. Now the last, again, it's going back and forth, high frequency, but one of the last reports I heard was that the UAW is still wanting around a 30% increase, which again, I don't know anyone who's gotten that much of a pay increase. And that's just for the wages. They still want the other things that help make companies go bankrupt, like pensions, which again, name, I know one company in Texas that has a pension that's in the private sector. Unfortunately, because it's not profitable. It's something that was very popular back in the day, but throughout the years, very few businesses can afford it, partially because I blame the government for taxing businesses at a huge corporate tax rate, which again, if people want it to be paid more, I would say vote differently. Ideally, maybe libertarian or Republican. Someone, well, it's all rhinos, so that's no longer a safe bet either. But vote for someone who says, we're gonna slash the corporate tax rate so they can give their employees more money. I mean, people don't realize by the time an employee gets their paycheck, it's been taxed every which way. 
It's ridiculous and disgusting. But, again, perhaps my ideas are just too radical for DC. What? Lower taxes and give people more money? money? Well, th that's just crazy, some might say. But, nevertheless, it'll be interesting to see. Also, maybe the UAW changes their... Well, they won't. It's been, I believe, about 100 years of them making political donations to the same party. I doubt they've learned their lesson or they'll change anytime soon. Let me know in the comments if you think differently. But do you think they'll actually accept Ford's seventh offer? I can't but think no. Because again, they have about 820 or $850 million sitting in the bank where that's just money for them specifically set aside for a strike. So they have plenty of funds and plenty of reasons not to go back to work. And again, if you're a worker, imagine you're making $500 a week just to hold a sign. That's awesome. I mean, I... I've done a, I've worked a lot harder and earned a lot less throughout my life. So I'll be interested to see. Let me know in the comments if you think the strike will end or if we'll just keep going. And even if they'll accept this. I can't help but think, well, I doubt they'll accept this offer. But maybe I'm wrong. Rumor is it's happened time to time. Other interesting political news. You have Vivek going viral for noting how the RNC shut down a debate between him and Chris Christie. Now, it's one of those fascinating things where Chris Christie, he is allegedly running for the Republican nominee to become president. The poll numbers and the numbers do not reflect that. And he is very much anti-Trump in terms of his rhetoric and his strategy, which again, it is working in terms of the people who hate Trump. There are some of those folks in the Republican Party, and he's gaining those votes for all these polls. And I, my, I don't think there's enough of those people to get the Republican nominee but maybe he's doing this for other reasons. But nevertheless, that's his political strategy. For him, it is somewhat working because he's getting more traction, I guess, from that regard. Now, granted, I might not agree with darn near anything from Chris Christie, though I do believe in this because, oddly enough, standing up for the First Amendment. Now, this is from Chris Christie, and unfortunately, he really doesn't have much of an accent that I can think of in terms of I know people love me butchering accents just by the comments. I know you love my uh, attempts. So, yeah, I, I don't really know much of his accent. So, unfortunately, you'll just have to listen to my mundane, some might say, voice. So this is the first tweet from Chris Christie, which is what we're referencing when we talk about why Vivek went viral, was his response to this tweet. Now, from Chris Christie on the good old Twitter, or now called X, which, a grand branding, I don't know if that's really a prudent decision, but nevertheless... Chris Christie says, quote, Voters need more information, not less. Our party needs more debates and in-depth discussions, not less. This is a common sense and bedrock of our republic. When the RNC stops conversations between candidates from happening, that is a real cause for concern. One of the thing, main things that Vivek Ramaswamy and I agree on is the right of the American public to fully hear and understand what each candidate believes and with as little filter as possible. I appreciate Vivek Ramaswamy's willingness to engage in the conversation with me. It is very disappointing that we are threatened from with exclusion from the Miami debate and future debates for trying to have more complete dialogue with each other and the voters. Every campaign was offered the opportunity by Fox News, and they have now effectively banned by the RNC. I am always up for real discussions. It's a shame that the RNC and at real Donald Trump aren't. Now, Chris Christie, unquote. Now, he actually went viral as well. It's the first time in many weeks with most of his posts, I believe, game uh, about maybe 20, 30, 60. And every once in a while, I get a couple hundred thousand 
with his top invest, you know, one month being the one where he bizarrely, uncreatively come up with a nickname of Donald Duck being Donald Trump. Wait, take that, reverse it. And that got about half a million, that got 460,000 views. This got 2.1 million views, but it only got about 2,175 likes. Now, in terms of that statement, I wholeheartedly agree. I wish, and again, all of this is by ineptitudes or designs of the RNC or the DNC as well, but we always have these rudimentary debates where you get a couple seconds to respond to something, and there's really not much of a visceral debate where they can go back and forth. They always get cut off. You never hear the complete thoughts or ideals. They usually just do the cliche BS lines that we've heard since we were kids. Like, we need to get Americans back to work. It's like the most, I mean, the most mundane, yes, obviously. How would you do that? But no, they, they have the buzzer. They, they, can't elaborate, they cannot elaborate at all, which I wish they could. Ideally, just have everyone go on Joe Rogan for a four-hour interview or a five-hour interview so you can know everything about the candidate. I mean, we have the technology. It's not like we're limited by, oh, no, we have to wrap up the show in an hour. People tune in if they want to really know about it. Now, Vivek's response to Chris Christie, he says, quote, last, night, last week's RNC debate was a disgrace, and I'm starting to believe that was by design. This is what a brokered and rigged nomination process looks like. I disagree with, like hell with Chris Christie, but when they asked me to face off with him, I said I'd be a man and do it before the RNC intervened to cut it off. Instead of allowing open dialogue and the airing of ideas to give primary voters a real choice, the establishment would rather cut backroom deals and offer up phony debates, including candidates with no viable path and questions that no voter would ever ask. The establishment has hellbent on taking down Trump. Now they'll, they're hellbent on propping up their favorite puppets. We won't let them get away with it. It's pathetic that the super PAC puppet masters have now summoned their favorite establishment puppets to broker a path to defending Trump instead of allowing GOP voters to make a real choice on their own by directly hearing from candidates. Republican voters deserve better than this broken process, unquote. Now his response got 1.8 million views in the course of a single day. Now not to brag, but I did get 96 views when I tweeted one time at N-I-C-T-O-P-P-I-N-G for fun tweets or posts. Now, some of the most popular responses include the GOAT, many would call, Elon Musk. Now, Elon says, quote, let's have a debate on the X platform. I'm happy to host, unquote. Now, that got 7,862 likes out of 383,000 views. Now, Vivek did respond to that specifically saying, quote, the RNC won't let the GOP debates do it, but I'd go for it with a smart Democrat who's willing, unquote. And he got 1,944 likes out of 62,000 views. Now, of course, the issue with Twitter right now is, or X, whatever bloody hell you want to call it, you won't be able to see it. Because right now, again, they have the videos, but I don't think their live stream capabilities can do the video yet. They have the pre-recorded videos so you can post on Twitter, but when you had famously the mundane, or what's the nice way of saying boring, rudimentary presidential kickoff with DeSantis, where he had his announcement on Twitter. It was just a like an old-timey radio, which nostalgia I do appreciate, but you couldn't see him. And the majority of communication is body language. If you read any, read any book on communication, that's usually page one. Well, I guess 
page two or three after the credits, all that kind of stuff. But nevertheless, it's early in the book. And yeah, Elon, they need to get that. I don't know if it's there yet, but they need to focus on making that technology happen. Now, unfortunately, Vivek is right. The RNC won't let them do it, which perhaps could show the corruption of the RNC, as well as the DNC, multi-billion dollar entities. But what are the other comments saying? Let's see. Mr. Rushker Karlbod said, quote, Dana asking the candidates to write down who they'd vote off the island one of the, was one of the most ridiculous and childish things I've ever seen in a debate. And then there was her bizarre mention of Nikki Haley's husband being in the service after DeSantis talked about his service. We also had Vivek mispr- or sorry, Varney mispronouncing names all over the place while Isla asking questions that relate to her personally. All of that, that along with them cutting candidates off, made it seem contrived and made it one of the worst moderated debates I've ever seen. Unquote. That person got 224 likes out of 7,814 views. And yeah, I agree. They they really didn't ask a lot of the important questions that people actually care about. And they, again, just especially I felt bad for the gentleman from North Dakota, Mr. Burgum, who, to his credit, is the first time in months we talk about North Dakota, which is famously... I know them just because of business, being a business nerd. They are the headquarters of Shields, which is one of the best sporting stores out there. Now, he had his mic constantly pulled, and they barely gave him any screen time as well. So, it'll be interesting to see what other comments we got here. Mr. Matthew slash Matt Chu said, quote, Do it anyway and see if they have the balls to cut you off the Miami debate stage. Call their bluff. And they won't follow through, especially if you're you get conversations with more candidates to happen in the meantime. Unquote. This person's got 300 likes, uh, 39,000 views. Looks like oh, I'm trying to see. Someone named Flom said, "Quote, target by design, Vivek." Unquote. I. Oh, I guess it's on target because it's an emoji of an arrow going into a target. Hmm, interesting form of communication preference. Now, that person did get 45 likes out of 13,000 views. Someone named Darth Vivek, which the profile picture looks to be Vivek but with laser eyes. This person says, quote, Sounds like it's time to flip over the table and run as an independent, unquote. That person got 30 likes out of 1,000 views. Someone by name of, let's see here. Uh, Some by name of Yogi, which ridiculously enough, their profile picture is not of Yogi Bear, which is perhaps the most famous bear that people know. This person said, quote, the Republican voters deserve better than this broken process. They deserve to be able to hear directly from the candidates and make a real choice about who they want to represent them, unquote. Now, this person got th- 79 likes out of 15,000 views. Mr. Hans Nelson said, quote, All of the candidates should boycott the RNC debates together and do a at Joe Rogan instead, unquote. This person got 72 likes out of 4,000 views. Let's see here. I'm trying to see if there's any contrarians here. Usually there's that one gentleman. Uh, I guess someone named Joe got one like for just putting pictures of the clown emoji. 
Uh, let's see. So it looks like overwhelming. I'd say 95% positive. Uh, let's see here. A lot of people saying do debate on Twitter, do on Twitter spaces or whatever it's called. Interesting. Let's see here. Keep calling them out. Yeah, it looks like overwhelming support on the Twitter sphere or the X, whatever you want to call it these days in terms of the responses that I'm seeing. Now, of course, uh, let's see here. It'll be interesting to see, uh, let's see here. Yeah, I, uh, okay, here's one. Uh, Mr. High Grow System said, quote, okay, yeah, Bernie, unquote. Which, of course, is pejorative because he's using the word Bernie, which is Bernie Sanders. Uh, although he did not get any likes. So, looks like overwhelming. They are all supporting Vivek. It'll be interesting to see why is RNC trying to shut down all these constructive debates? Is it by design because they want us to have as little information as possible? Or do they just want the monopoly on the advertising rights when they're hosting all these events? Or both? Look, as, as uh, Archer might say, eh, eh, little column A, little column B. Let me know in the comments. It'll be fascinating to see and hear what you have to say. Now, going on to the business blunder of the day, you have... General Motors, more bad news, unfortunately. The GM AI vehicle cruise crushes a woman in San Francisco. Dear God, it's gotten so violent, even the robots are rebelling. As a, I was going to say it's going to be detrimental for the five businesses that are still left there. Now, this is, looks like to be a first. And it looks like this autonomous driving system, the woman was hospitalized after the firefighters were able to free her for under the driverless cruise AV. And this was because it looks like she was. Doo, doo, doo. The video of the cruise vehicle is viewed by CBS News showed the woman crossing against the light, getting hit by the sedan, and she, she was then launched into the path of the self-driving car. Although I was told these robots could respond in you know nanoseconds, even if she was shoved into the path, she didn't be able to magically stop. Or was it by design? Was GM really after this person? Perhaps. Obviously, maybe not. But nevertheless, it looks like in terms of the specific of the incident, this is, quote, at approximately 9.30 p.m. on October 2nd, a human-driven vehicle struck a pedestrian while traveling in the lane immediately to the left of the cruise AV. The, cr the initial impact was severe and launched the pedestrian directly in front of the AV. The AV then braked aggressively to minim minimize the impact. The driver of the other vehicle fled the scene and at the request of the police AV was kept at its place, unquote. San Francisco police are still investigating the crash. Yeah, that'll never get solved. If you look at crime in San Francisco, the odds of that crime getting solved is, is not zero, but it is perhaps 0.0000003, conceivably. It's one of those phenomenons where, eh, can't get what you, what you vote for. They famously voted to Instead of having crime or theft being a felony, up to $950 is now a misdemeanor. So it just gets kicked down, kicked down, kicked down, and pleaded down, pleaded down, pleaded down. So there's so much rampant crime, it's pretty much third world country in many regards. Now it'll be interesting to see, I mean, will it really impact the, co 
the public's perception of these vehicles, which have nobody controlling it. It looks like Cruise operates about 400 self-driving vehicles across the country, and they've never had a fatal accident. And of course, they claim they're complying with San Francisco authorities. And oh, I think there's always people that are going to be afraid of the ghost of the machine. Well, also, if you work in cybersecurity, you know like they could be hacked and overtaken. So I think there's always going to be people who distrust autonomous vehicles. But again, given the fact that in this case, they're pushed into the path, it was not like a vehicle made that decision to actually hit the person yet, where you have all these crazy scenarios of where people are discussing ethics and you have the vehicle that's going a certain rate of speed, you have two people in front of it and it has to decide you know, who to hit. That's a very fascinating cultural topic of discussion. You know, how would the computer make the, the decision that people would define as the best? So we're, we haven't gotten to that dystopia scenario yet. In this case, it's just some push out of the way. But does this change your perception with all of these vehicles? Would you be more likely to hop in one and trust your life to it? Or would you prefer, like myself, getting a vehicle that you can actually control? Better yet, having one with three pedals, also known as a stick shift, aka a manual transmission, and an internal combustion engine that will last, well, probably about a quarter, eh, 25 years, I mean, a quarter century and a million miles. Reliability is a rare, beautiful thing. But nevertheless, let me know in the comments. It'll be fascinating to see what you have to say. Thank you, everyone, for taking the time to do in today. I really appreciate your support. Also, if you take the time to click that subscribe button. I know it's ambitious. But we're trying to get to 4,000 subscribers by the end of October. So every one of those clicks especially helps. Also, the critical feedback is also appreciated. If you take the time to comment, I always try to take the time, even if it's a day or two late, to read and respond to your comments because I do appreciate the feedback as we try to make the show better and better. Also, lastly, don't forget to take the time to tell your family, tell your friends, tell your coworkers, heck, tell your enemies, tell anyone and everyone. Just stay safe and fight the good fight.